Father, we just, again, just thank you for, for just who you are. And, and Lord, as we look at this Christmas story, we, we learn so much about, about uh, your birth and just what it means to us. Lord, as we look at the Annunciation today, this announcement that Mary receives about uh, the fact that you're going to overshadow her and in her womb you're going to live, Lord, it's just, it's just hard for us as finite human beings to wrap our minds about, around all of those things, Lord, and we just ask that you open our hearts and help us to see just how important it is to believe in the virgin birth. Lord, that it's really a matter of our eternal salvation, and we'll look at that a little later on, Lord. And I just ask that you just show us just how, how serious it is, serious of a matter it is. And, Lord, that you just open this mystery up to us and show us why it's so important. Father, we do pray for Kathy of me who's in the hospital. I just ask for healing for her, Lord, for wisdom for the doctors. And, Lord, just let that be a short stay for her and uh, help her with her breathing and with her heart. And, uh, Lord, be with her family. Father, we also pray for Nikki as she recovers from this hip surgery. Just ask for you a complete and full recovery and as little pain as possible as she goes through therapy and recovers from, from uh, having her hip replaced. Lord, we just again just thank you for your mercy on us. And, and Lord, we love this time of season and we, we do ask you to, to, to bless us. Uh, Lord, most importantly, with just a full knowledge of all that Christmas means to us. We just thank you for that. And, Christ's name I pray, amen. Today, again, turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, and we'll be in chapter number one. And we're going to take a look at uh, two of the greatest hymns that were ever written. You could call them Christmas carols. Uh, one is uh, called, is by Elizabeth, and it's called Hail Mary. That's the name that's been given, it, given to it. And the other is Mary's uh, Magnificat, uh, is what it's called. Uh, both of those are recorded by Luke in the uh, first chapter of the book of Luke, but they were written, I believe, uh, this is the closest you get to inspiration by dictation, where God just dictates the words to the writer uh, of this particular section of the Bible. And, and I believe that God dictated these words uh, to Elizabeth, and he dictated these words to Mary, and then Luke recorded them as they were dictated to them. Now, the sad thing is that these two songs have become part of the Catholic liturgy. And the sad part of it is that they used these songs to lift up Mary. That was never God's intentions. And we're going to see that as we, we get, look at these two songs today. The, and let me tell you who these songs were written. They were written to honor Mary but they were written to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ, the God Almighty who was in Mary's womb uh, after the, the, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon her. And that's what we want to be looking at today, and we want to put all of that in perspective. I, I think as Protestants sometimes we debase Mary's position, uh, but we don't want to make the error that the Catholics make and lift her up as some sort of, co-equal uh, God with Jesus Christ because she's not. And we're going to see that as we look at the text today. All right, now, uh, let's go to the background of the story. If you remember, uh, we looked at the background in the first part of chapter number one last week. This heavenly visitor, this angel Gabriel, 
uh, came to Zacharias while he was ministering at the altar of incense. And uh, he told Zacharias that he was going to have a son uh, who would be the forerunner of the Messiah, uh, the voice crying in the wilderness, the one who would prepare the way for the Lord. And now as we come to chapter 26 uh, in the Gospel of Luke, six months have passed, and the Lord sends Gabriel back to earth again. And this time, uh, he's going to come to this humble young maid in Nazareth, uh, named Mary. And that's where we want to pick up in our text today. So, so go with me to, to chapter number one of the Gospel of Luke and pick up in verse number 26. And listen to what Luke tells us. He tells us now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God back to Judea, back to a city of Galilee, actually not Judea, but to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now it's interesting to me as I look at this right away, you see a couple of things here. First of all, you see that uh, he, she, uh, he sent to the house of David, I mean to Joseph of the house of David, to a, to a woman betrothed by Joseph. Both Mary and Joseph were of the house of David. That's important because the Messiah comes through the line of David. Uh, also, uh, you see that they were betrothed. Uh, betrothal was, was uh, much like our engagement today. They still do betrothals in Israel. Uh, but it's much more serious because it has much more legal efficiency than just an engagement. If you want to break an engagement, you just give the ring back. If you're betrothed, you're as good as married. So in order to break that betrothal, you have to get a certificate of divorce. And so here's Gabriel, and he comes to Mary in this little town of Nazareth, uh, and uh, she's betrothed to this man named Joseph. Now, it's interesting that Gabriel didn't come. I mean, if, if you were God, where would you send the angel to announce the coming of the Messiah, to announce the birth of the Messiah? I mean, uh, maybe Rome, uh, to, maybe to Caesar's palace in Rome, uh, but he didn't go there. He didn't go to Jerusalem, to the temple and the high priest. Gabriel didn't go to Caesarea where, where Herod's palace was. He went to this little town of Nazareth to the home of a virgin named Mary who was betrothed to a carpenter named Joseph. Now, I think sometimes we think of Mary and Joseph as being a poor little couple. They really weren't. In those days, a carpenter was kind of like a carpenter is today. Uh, they weren't rich, but they weren't poor. They were probably a middle-class family, and... and uh, uh, so they so uh, and and so uh, they probably you know lived fairly well, uh, even though they weren't living together yet. They were betrothed, but they were going to live fairly well when they when they were when they were married, and and she went to live with Joseph. Now Nazareth is a really interesting little city. Uh, we think of it sometimes as just a little town. It was it, it's not a little town now, and it was a little town then. It's a, it's a small city. Uh, it sits on one of the main roads of, in, in those days, one of the main roads, it sat on one of the main roads of the trading caravans of, uh, uh, used and where the soldiers went back and forth uh, in order to do their bidding. And so it was full of hotels and it was full of places of Ill, repute, Ill repute. That's why when Nathaniel hears that the Messiah, from Philip, that the Messiah, that they found the Messiah from Nazareth, 
Uh, remember what Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He wasn't talking about Nazareth being small. He was talking about the fact that Nazareth was such an evil place. Can anything good come out of a place like that? And really, you go there today, and it, doesn't, it probably doesn't look too much different than it did back then. Uh, the city sits on a, on a hillside uh, and, and on the top of the hill, and uh, at the same, same hill that it sits on today, uh, we, when we were in Israel a couple of years ago, uh, we went to a food court on the opposite side of that hill where Nazareth sits, and you could look out uh, over that valley, and you could see Nazareth. And to me, it looked, you know, it just, I could just picture it looking exactly like it did or very close to what it looked like in the days when Mary and Joseph lived there. I mean, the food court, I got to tell you, had some really good food. Uh, it had, it had uh, uh, gyros, the best gyro I've ever eaten. It was, it was made of lamb steak and all of these uh, stir-fried vegetables, and I got to tell you, it was really good. And I told Brenda afterwards, I said, this had to be one of Mary and Joseph's favorite spots. The only problem was there was the McDonald's in the food court, and I don't think McDonald's existed back then. They certainly probably had gyros, but, but uh, anyway, it was a great place to look out over that valley and up onto the little city of, of Nazareth. And uh, we left that food court, and we went down the valley and up the hill and to the old city of of Nazareth, and we parked our car, and we, we came to what's called the Church of the Annunciation. And inside the Church of the Annunciation, there is a little stream that's flowing there. And people were lined up to go to that stream and get a drink of water because that supposedly is the stream where Mary was getting water when Gabriel appeared to her. That's the, that's the tradition. And so everybody was falling down and putting their heads in the stream, and I guess they were trying to get some holy water or something. I didn't get in line, but I, I, I thought it was very interesting to watch what happened. Now, that probably is not the spot where Gabriel appeared to Mary and announced the fact that she was going to bear the Messiah, but it had to be somewhere close to that, somewhere close to that old city. And I, I, to me, it, it, it just gave me chills to know that I was right there in the, in the almost in the very spot where... Gabriel appeared to Mary, and all of heaven was watching this scene. So Gabriel appears to Mary, and then in verse number 28, listen to what happens. And, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice. I've got some really good news for you, Mary. Rejoice. Now, Mary had no idea what he's about to tell her. So, so, uh, but she knew that was an angel, and she knew something was up. And he says, Rejoice, highly favored one. Now that's interesting there that he calls her highly favored one because there's several places in the New Testament where we're told that God, uh, Romans 2, uh, Acts chapter 10, we're told that God is not a respecter of persons. Now that's true. And what that means, it, that's in the context of salvation. In the context of salvation, God is not a respecter of persons. He wishes that all come to Christ, that none perish. Anyone can come. Whoever, come, whoever, whoever calls upon the Lord will be saved. So, so God wants everybody to be saved, and so he's not a respecter of person in that sense. 
But he is a, he, he does favor people. I mean, you can't deny the fact that certain people are favored in the Bible. There's only one Mary. There's only one mother of God, and that's Mary. And I, I, I say that because we're going to look at that semantically here in a few minutes. But, but she actually was the mother of God. She did carry God in her womb for nine months, and she birthed God himself. And so she was highly favored. And there are certain people that God prepares their whole lives for some particular task that they're going to perform for him or some service they're going to do for him. And they're favored in that respect. They're favored over other people. Now, God certainly wants to use everybody, but I like what Vance Hebner says. God's probably using us all as much as he can possibly use us because of our own self-centered wills and and uh, we kind of limit how God can use us. But when God wants to use somebody and favor somebody in a certain way, we shouldn't be jealous of that because he does that. He does favor, and Mary is highly favored. Listen to what he says. You are highly favored, and the Lord is with you. Mary was a woman of great faith, the faith that was given to her by the Lord, and the Lord was with her. I, I think she knew the Lord was with her. And then listen to what he says. He says, blessed are you among women. Let me tell you what that means. That means you're the most blessed woman on earth. You're the most blessed woman who ever lived. Now, here's where we get into trouble as Protestants. I think we degrade Mary's role in biblical history. She was the greatest woman who ever lived. Why was she the greatest woman who ever lived? Because she was God? No, she was the greatest woman who ever lived because God favored her. God favored her with great grace. With, with the task that she was given, she was highly favored by the Lord, and she was blessed among all other women. I mean, she had the greatest task that has ever been, the most important task that has ever been given to a woman, and that was to carry the Son of God in her womb for nine months and to bear him and to raise him up. I mean, all of that's tough to wrap our finite minds around. But we certainly can't deny that she's highly favored. But he didn't say you're a God by any means. You're co-equal with Christ. You're going to see none of that in this text. Certainly she's highly favored and certainly she deserves our honor. But uh, that's where it ends. I mean, but she's a human being just like us and we're going to see that. You'll see that as, as, we, as we go through the rest of this, this text today. All right. Now, go with me to verse number 29. But when she saw him, she was troubled. I guess so. She was, she, she was unnerved is maybe a better word there. I mean, if I saw an angel today, I would be unnerved too. So she was unnerved. Uh, when she saw him, she was unnerved. But she wasn't unnerved because there was an angel there. She was unnerved by what he said and his saying and, and considered what matter of greeting was it. I mean, why is he saying to me, you're highly favored? Why is he saying to me, I'm the most blessed woman who's ever lived? Why is he saying that to me? And then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Had she earned any favor with God? Is that what this text says? No, she had found favor with God. She wasn't God handing out favor. She had found favor in God. She didn't earn any favor in God because she was a perfect woman. She found favor favor in God, just like you and I found salvation. I mean, we might have said a sinner's prayer, but it was God who chased us down, and we found salvation. She found favor with the Lord. 
And, and, and now listen to the Annunciation. And behold, you, put, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You shall call his name Yeshua. Now, actually, that was a fairly common name in those days. Uh, there were probably hundreds of males there at Nazareth who had the name Yeshua for a couple of reasons. One, the name means Joshua. Uh, it's the Joshua character in the, uh, in the book of the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua, in the book of Exodus. We know, all know about Joshua. He's somebody you, you would think about naming your kid after. And, and that's one reason. Another reason was that there were a lot of women that wanted their son to be the Messiah. And they knew that the Messiah was Yeshua, Jehovah is salvation. And so they named their child, hoping their child just very well might be the Messiah. But because you name your kid something doesn't necessarily mean they're going to live up to that name. Who gives Jesus this name? It's the angel actually speaking on behalf of the Lord God Almighty who gives Jesus this name because that son that uh, she is going to conceive in her womb, or actually God is going to conceive in her womb, that son she's going to bring forth is the son of God. He is Jehovah. That's why his name is Jesus, because he is Jesus who is going to save this world from their sins. Jehovah is salvation. Mary, that little child you're going to carry is none other than Jehovah God, the great I am. All right, then in verse number 32, it says, he will be great. He will be the greatest, the greatest ever, the greatest man who's ever walked this earth. And he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God, Jehovah God Almighty, will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, that's very important because if you remember in 2 Samuel chapter 7, remember David had decided he wanted to build a temple for the Lord. And the Lord said, David, you can't build me a temple. You have blood on your hands. I'm not going to let you build my temple. But I'm going to build a house for you. And it's going to be an everlasting house. Through your seed, the Messiah is going to come. And then he describes for David exactly what Gabriel describes for Barry here. He says, he says, and he will reign, verse number 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. It will be an everlasting kingdom. And that kingdom is going to come through Mary who is a and Joseph, who are both of the line of David. And it will be an everlasting kingdom. And then Mary asked the obvious question. I mean, here's Mary. Mary knows the birds and the bees. She knows that it takes a sexual act in order to produce a child. She knows that she has, has never had a sex, hasn't had sex up until this point. And so uh, she asked the obvious question in verse number 34. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? That's, that's impossible. I, I don't know a man. How, how in the world can I have a baby? Now, I, we get one of the most important verses in the entire Bible, verse number 35. And watch this because you get a description here of the virgin birth. And I, I got to tell you, the virgin birth is very important to your salvation. It's very important to my salvation. Without the virgin birth, there is no salvation. 
without belief in the virgin birth, there is no salvation. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. It says, but I just want you to see just how important this verse is. Look at verse number 35. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You, you don't need a man in order to, to, to place this seed in your womb. I'm going to place this seed in your womb. It's going to be a divine seed. The, the Lord, not Gabriel, the Lord will do that. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, right there, you get a perfect description, about as complete of a description as you can have, of the virgin birth. You want to know what, if somebody asks you, what's the virgin birth? Bring them to this verse right here. You want to know what the virgin birth is? You come to this verse right here. Now, that doesn't mean you understand the virgin birth. You just know how the, the, the virgin birth takes place. Now, that verse is a fulfillment of two great Old Testament prophecies. It's a fulfillment of two great Old Testament prophecies that are very important to, to understanding what's going on right here. The first Old Testament prophecy that, that uh, it fulfills is in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where it says, where the prophet says, I will give a sign unto you, uh, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. A virgin shall conceive. Now, that's an impossibility. And a virgin, virgins don't conceive. You can't be a virgin and conceive a child under normal circumstances. But this is the virgin birth. And the virgin will conceive, and she will bear a child, and you will call his name Emmanuel. What's Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. And so this virgin is going to bear the Messiah. Now, the second Old Testament prophecy that this fulfills is over in Genesis chapter 3, verse 13. Remember, after the fall. After the fall, when God cursed Satan, this is what he said. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. When Adam fell, his nature, he, he died spiritually. It, the wages of sin is death. He, his, what Adam's nature no, no longer had the nature, Adam no longer had the nature of God. He had the nature of Adam, the Adam, Adamic nature. And he had the fallen nature, the sin nature. Now, I know in the Bible that this word sin nature or the phrase sin nature doesn't appear, but it doesn't have to appear. The theology is there over and over and over and over again. And what God was saying right here, I'm going to put enmity, distance, between you and the woman's seed. And, and uh, I'm going to, let me read it again. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. What's the enmity? The distance is the virgin birth. That's how God kept the Lord who was born in Mary's womb from having the fallen nature. If Jesus had a sin nature, he could not save you. He has to be the perfect lamb of God. Jesus had to be virgin born. So if you deny the virgin birth, 
You deny your own salvation because without a Savior who's virgin born, you can't be saved. He has to be perfect. He has to be God himself. Now, I hear Christians, people who call themselves Christians, I want to address this for just a second. People who call themselves Christians who say, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in the virgin birth. I just don't, can't bring myself to believe that. Well, let me tell you what I'll say back to you. If somebody tells me that, I'm going to say, you're not saved. I'm not your judge, and I'm not trying to put you down. But if you don't believe in the virgin birth, you are not saved. You can't be saved. Now, I love what J. Vernon McGee says about this. He says it. It, believing in the virgin birth doesn't save you, but you're not saved if you don't believe in the virgin birth. When you read a verse like verse number 25, how, do you, how, how can you make sense of that? I mean, how can you know that that's true? There's only one way that you can know that it's true. And there's only one way that you can make sense of it, and that is by the Spirit of God. So if you're born again... If you're truly saved, then you have the Spirit of God in you. If you don't have the Spirit of God in you, in Romans 8, we're told, he who does not have the Spirit is none of his. You're not a born-again believer. But if you're a born-again believer, you can look at this text. Now, you don't understand it, but I can read this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, uh, and the power of the, of the highest will overshadow you, and therefore also the Holy One who is, who is to be born of you will be called the Son of God. I can read that. I don't understand it, but I know that that's true. Now, there are several tests in the Bible. You want to test if your faith is real. Let me tell you what. You can't believe that if you don't have the Holy Spirit. You, you, you will believe it if you do have the Holy Spirit. I say the same thing about creation when we were in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In six days, he created all things, and on the seventh day, he rested. I believe that. Uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, by faith we know that the things that, uh, that were created, the things visible, were created out of the invisible by the very word of God. I can't explain that, but I know that. And, though, and if, if somebody says, I'm not sure I'm saved, one of the things I'll do is test them on a couple of things like that. Because if you believe that God created everything that exists materially out of nothing, that takes faith. That takes supernatural faith. That takes the Spirit of God. If you don't believe that, understand. I mean, I mean, that goes against everything secular science teaches. That goes against everything you'll be taught from, from elementary school all the way through college. It goes against everything that's, that's, that's on the news. It goes against everything. It doesn't go against common sense, though. You don't have to put up your... Put away your common sense to believe in the creation. I, in fact, I think you have to give up your common sense to believe in evolution. That's the way I see it. I mean, I, there is plenty of evidence for the fact that God created the heavens and the earth. There's no, there's no doubt about that in my mind. But before I was saved, before August the 23rd, 1989, if you had asked me if I believed in the virgin birth, I would have said no. I said, well, I might. I don't really know what it's even about, but I, but I, but I you know, I don't, you know. Do, I, do, you, do you believe it with all your heart? No, I certainly don't believe it with all my heart. Do you believe that God created the heavens and the earth in seven days and he created it all out of nothing? 
if somebody had asked me that on August the 22nd, 1989, I would have said, no, I don't believe that. On August the 23rd, 1989, when I got born again, I knew that Jesus Christ was virgin born. I knew that, that, that uh, God created the heavens and the earth in seven, seven days, and he created them out of nothing. Uh, I knew a lot more than that. I, not that I was a smart guy, but I knew that every single word of this Bible is the word of God, the, breathe, the living, breathed word of God, the inspired word of God. I knew that after I was born again. So when somebody tells, when you hear these people that have these heresies and these churches that are teaching these heresies, I, I, I say get out of those places. And, and the reason I say that is that that there's, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with the whole thing. If you can get up there and teach things that are error, then, then, then there's something wrong spiritually. If you don't, if you got pastors that are, don't believe in the virgin birth, I wouldn't, I wouldn't set foot in a place like that. They, don't, they believe in evolution, I wouldn't set a foot in a place like that because it's a spiritual issue. People who don't believe that, that God is, has anything left to do with Israel. I don't know what Bible they're reading, but this replacement theology, and there's a ton of churches out there that teach replacement theology, that somehow Israel's been replaced by the church. Not so. Not so. I mean, open your eyes. Look at how God's dealing in Israel right now. What's going on there? All those peace agreements, all the things. The whole world got their focus on that little tiny strip of land over there. How can you not believe God is, uh, that God somehow, how could you believe that God has somehow quit working with Israel? They're just, you know, they're, they're just a bunch of lost people who are all going to hell. That's, that's, there's something wrong with that, and, and, and uh, it's a spiritual issue. And those are tests that you can take, and you can see, do I have the Spirit of God? Because when you have the Spirit of God, you know that those things are true. I shouldn't have to come here and convince you that verse number 35 is true. Uh, you know that it's true. You know that Jesus Christ was virgin born, and you know it's a wonderful truth because if he wasn't virgin born, if God hadn't separated him from the Adam Adamic nature, if he hadn't separated him from the sin nature, he couldn't have died for your sin. He couldn't have been the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The reason he could take away the sin of the world is because he was virgin born. All right. Then in verse number 36, it says, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative. Now, if you've got a King James Version there, it says your cousin, and that's a bad translation. Uh, it, it's the, the word, the Greek word means cousin there. I mean, I'm sorry, it means relative there. And so, now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, more than likely, Elizabeth was past childbearing age. She was at an old age, and so she was probably in her 60s. Mary was probably about 16 or 17 years old at this point. And so more than likely, I would think Elizabeth was Mary's aunt or one of her aunts or maybe a distant cousin, but, but cousin is highly unlikely. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived, and when did she conceive? It was a miracle. She, what, the, what Gabriel's doing here, he's saying, look, this can happen to you because look what's happened to your aunt. Uh, in her old age, uh, she's conceived, and uh, she's now in her sixth month uh, uh, for who, she who was once called barren. I mean, she was a barren lady, 
it, it was impossible for her to get pregnant. Uh, Zacharias uh, impregnated her, and now she's bearing a son, and that son is the forerunner of the Messiah. Uh, and how can God do this? The, the same reason God can do anything he ever wants to do. Verse number 37, for with God nothing will be impossible. You can put any tense on that statement, and it works biblically. It's still true. For, put the pre, past tense on there. For with God, nothing was impossible. For with God, put the present tense, nothing is impossible. Put the future tense. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Uh, and, and I love Mary's response. I absolutely love her response. It's almost an heroic response that she has to all of these great truths that this angel has spoken to her. Listen to what she says. He says, for, for with God nothing will be impossible. And then Mary said, Behold your handmaiden, or behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Isn't that, that's, that's amazing to me. I mean, she didn't ask any questions. She didn't, she didn't argue with the angel. Uh, she didn't ask for a sign. Remember, Zacharias, just a few verses earlier, had asked for a sign. I mean, she just says, here I am. Do with me as you please. Now, you go back through your Bible, and you look at all the great heroes throughout Scripture, and very few of them had that kind of immediate and complete obedience. How about Jonah? Remember Jonah, the Lord said, go to Nineveh. And what did Jonah do? He bought him a ticket in the opposite direction heading to Tarsus. Remember Gideon. I mean, Gideon, that great and mighty warrior. That's what God called him when he appeared to him down in that threshing field. And he appeared to him and he said, you great and mighty warrior, you're going to deliver the Israelites from the Midianites. And what did Gideon do? He asked for a sign. Remember Elijah. I mean, the great prophet Elijah up on Mount Carmel, and he, 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 he brings down fire from heaven, and he slaughters the prophets of Baal, and, and, and he's right in the very will of God, and God wanted him to stay right there and fight that battle, continue that battle, and some lady said, but this time tomorrow, hey, either you're going to be dead or I'm going to be dead. And what did he do? I mean, this great prophet of God, he cut and he ran as far as he could, as long as he could. And he hid in a cave. But here's Mary. I mean, Mary's given a very, I mean, she, I'm, I'm sure her head was spinning with the thoughts of what this was all going to encompass. I mean, she was going to go through a very difficult time. Nobody was going to believe this. She was going to really struggle. She knew that. And she said, here I am. Do with me as you please. Mary wasn't just great among women. She was great among men, too. So Gabriel departs at the end of that verse, and Mary's thinking. I mean, she's pondering all of these things, and she's thinking, I got to go see Elizabeth, my aunt Elizabeth, more than likely her aunt. She says, I mean, she's carrying the forerunner to the Messiah, and I can't wait to tell her 
that I'm carrying the Messiah himself. We both got something in common. And it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to get out of Nazareth for a while. Seeing I'm going to begin to show here pretty quickly with this child that I'm bearing. And so she heads off and she goes to Ein Karim in verse number 39. At least that's where tradition said she went. Uh, Ein Karim's a little town just south of Jerusalem, uh, southwest of Jerusalem. And now let's pick up in verse number 39. Now, Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to, to a city of Judah. Again, there's a church built there that says this is the place where Zacharias and Elizabeth lived, and she, Mary went to Ein Karim, and uh, they built a, a church there. Uh, is that the exact spot where uh, Elizabeth and Zacharias lived? Probably not, but probably somewhere close to that, because it says the hill country, and that is in the hill country. That area south, that heads down to Hebron. Uh, and, she, and she entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Now watch what happens. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was then filled with the Holy Spirit. What an amazing scene that is. I mean, Mary walks into the presence of Elizabeth and the baby leaps in the womb. Now, wrap your mind around some of that. I mean, I've always wondered, you ever look a little baby in the eyes? I mean, I know you have if you had children. I know you've done that. But you look at that little child, and you wonder just what they know when they come to this earth. How much do they know? They can't talk. Their mind hasn't, you know, they haven't learned speech yet. But what do they know when they come into this world? And then I never have really thought about it until I was working up this message. But... I wonder what they think when they're in the womb. You know, they don't, they don't become human beings when they come out of the womb, as society's trying to tell us now. That's not much common sense either, to, not, to be able to look at a sanogram and see that baby moving around and tell me that baby's not a child and they come out of the womb. That's, that's uh, craziness is what that is. But I wonder what they think. You know, I don't think Wadsworth was... was Far off. I think he was on to something when he said when he wrote these words. Let me let me read these to you. He says, Trailing clouds of glory, do we come to the womb from God who is our home? Let me read that again. Trailing clouds of glory, do we come to the womb from God who is our home? You know what he was saying there? He was saying that a fetus in a in the womb knows that there's a God. I mean, here's John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth, and he knows that God has appeared in his presence in Mary's womb. That's pretty amazing stuff. I mean, that's it's hard to understand, but it's pretty amazing. But you know what? If you've ever taught a Sunday school class, a children's Sunday school class, even the littlest of the kids, you don't have to make much effort to get them to believe in God. You know, you almost have to make an effort to get them not to believe in God. 
We live in a society that does everything it can once that baby sets foot into this world, and once that baby's born in this world, then you set foot in the world, to make that child into an ungodly child. We do everything we can. Watch t- the TV. Read the newspaper if there's any to be found anymore. I mean, I mean, any kind of media. It's all about education. It's all about directing children away from God. Something that comes natural to them. And here's John the Baptist, and he's in the womb. And, and from, from, the, from the very conception, now this is really hard to wrap your mind around, from the very conception, he's filled with the Spirit of God. And so Mary shows up, and he's conscious of the presence of God in the womb of Mary, and he leaps. And, and uh, again, that's... that's not easy to figure out, but, but it's, it's pretty amazing stuff. Then she, then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, I mean, just, these words came out of her mouth. This is called the Beatitude of Mary. It's called the Ode to Mary. I kind of like the Ode to Mary the best. It's, it honors Mary. It's not Hail Mary as God. Now, in, my, in the bulletin, I said Hail Mary. That's what most people call this little... Uh, song that Elizabeth is going to sing or what she's going to say. They call it Hail Mary. But I I would say an ode to Mary. Blessed are you among women. The same thing that Gabriel said to Mary. Elizabeth says, so you know this is being dictated by God uh, indirectly. He says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Hail Mary, you've heard this before, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, I've never been a Catholic, uh, and I'm not picking on Catholics today by any means. Don't get, don't get me wrong here. We're just addressing the issue as it stands in the text. Uh, I've never been a Catholic. I, I, it's all, I, I've always admired their liturgy. I've always admired the fact that they try to create an atmosphere of holiness. I think that's a great thing. I think we could learn something from that. But here's, here's where they err here. I, I remember uh, a few years back when we had cable, and it's hard to find anything on cable to watch, so I was skimming through the religious channels, and I came to uh, ETWN, which is the Catholic network. And there were these nuns there, and they were chanting this in worship of Mary. They were chanting these very words, Hail Mary, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And they said this over, and, and it was just really interesting to me. They said this over, and they said it over, and they said it over, and they said it over and over again. That's sad to me, because they were worshiping the wrong party here. This wasn't meant for the worship of Mary. Now, it certainly was meant to honor Mary. This ode to Mary is is uh, is. is is, is certainly God's way of honoring Mary. And again, I think as Protestants, I think we go too far the other direction here. But the one to be honored here was the child in the womb, not Mary. But Mary was blessed because she was the most highly favored woman who ever lived because she was, had the privilege of being the mother of the Lord. But she was a sinner just like you and I. We're going to see that in just a second in the in this same text here in just a minute. Uh, and when, when Mary sings her song, but, but go on with me now to verse number 
43, but, but why is it granted that the mother of the Lord, now watch what she said. She doesn't say, why is it granted to me that my God and the mother of the Lord, the Lord means God there. She says, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord, Mary, you're not my Lord. The Lord is my Lord. Why am I so blessed that the mother of my Lord should come to me? In other words, I'm carrying the forerunner. That's a great honor too. I'm carrying the one who is the voice crying in the wilderness. I'm carrying the one who will proclaim the coming of the Messiah. I'm, but you're carrying, you're carrying Jesus. You're carrying Yeshua. You're carrying El Shaddai, God Almighty. You're carrying the one that I worship. And I'm not worthy to be in the presence of the one that I worship. And not I'm not worthy to be in your presence, Mary. I'm not worried to be, worthy to be in the presence of my Lord. Why have I been granted such a great honor? For indeed, look at verse number 44. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. The things that were told her from the Lord through the angel Gabriel. What, what was told her from the Lord through the angel Gabriel, that she would bear a son, a holy one, the son of God, and his name would be Jesus. And the reason his name would be Jesus is because he would save the world from their sins, the people of this world from their sins. Now, you, I got to believe that some 30 years later, when Jesus hung on that cross, and he had that crown of thorn in his head. And she could see the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet. And she could see the blood coming down his body. And she could see him agonizing in pain. And she could see him give up the spirit. And before he gave up the spirit, she could hear him cry out, it is finished. I got to believe that when she was experiencing seeing him on that cross, that these very words were ringing through her ears, these words of Elizabeth and these words of Gabriel. There will be a fulfillment of these things. Look at that again, which the Lord has told you. you Gabriel said, you will bear a son, a holy one, the son of God, and his name will be Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. And she looked at that cross and she saw the fulfillment of all those things that she had been told by Elizabeth in the song and all the things that she had been told by Gabriel. And then as we finish up now, we come to that great song of Mary. Uh, the Magnificent uh, is what it's often called. Uh, I got to tell you, one of my favorite movies is the movie Nativity. We watch it every Christmas. And one of my favorites, uh, my favorite scene in the movie is that it comes at the very end when Mary and Joseph are fleeing Bethlehem and heading to Egypt to escape the wrath of Herod. And the choir begins to sing Silent Night. And while the choir sings Silent Night, she reads these words from the Magnificent. 
And I can tell you, it gives me chills every time I hear it. But let me, let me just read them to you. I'm not going to sing Silent Night, but I'll read the words to you. And y'all, I'm going to sing Silent Night. <laughs> Listen to what she says and how beautiful this is. Imagine Silent Night being played right now. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my soul and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. And exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped the servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Oh, those are some powerful, powerful, wonderful words that she, she sings in that song. Look at going back now. My soul magnifies my glory. No way. My soul magnifies. The magnificent is not about Mary. My, the magnificent is about the magnificence of the Lord. My soul magnifies Jehovah God. And my spirit has rejoiced. I, 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 in, not in myself, but in God my Savior. Now let me ask you a question. What was Mary saying there? God is her Savior too. If Mary was without sin, why would she call him her Savior? He's, she needed a Savior every bit as much as you and I needed a Savior because she had sin too. For, for he has regarded the lowly state of a God, no, of a maidservant. I'm nothing more than a maidservant, just like a common woman, a great woman, a woman given a wonderful task, the greatest task ever. An honored woman, but a maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. I mean, she rightly, rightfully sees herself as being honored and blessed through all of this, uh, but not co-equal with God in any form or fashion. She's a maidservant. For he who is mighty has done these great things for me. Jesus himself, the one in her womb, is the one who has done these great things for her. And holy is his name. You know, I love that. You got a list of names. You ever go through a list of the names of God? How many times do you see on that list the name holy? Holy is his name. In Revelation chapter 4, when the four living creatures cry out, holy, 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 they're not just describing the Lord. They're calling out his name. You want to call out the name? One of the names of the Lord that you can call upon is holy. He is holy. And without holiness, we will not see God. Holiness is a very important name of God. For, his, for holy is his name, and his mercy is on those, listen to this, very clear here, on those who fear him. Those who fear him enough, like Mary, to know that they're sinners and to know that they need a Savior. 
They fear him. From, and, and his mercy will be on those who fear him. Watch this, you parents, from generation to generation. He's not saying that every generation will receive mercy, but every generation does receive the mercy of God. He's not saying that. He's saying that his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. In other words, you pass down that mercy to your children. If you truly fear God, if you truly have a relationship with God, you pass down that relationship to your children. Your fear of God passes down to them, and they have a fear of God. Do you really have a fear of God? I mean, in, in the book of Acts, when you see people say, every time the head of the household was saved, what happened? The rest of the household got saved. The whole household was baptized. When a man has, who's the head of the household, or if it's a woman in, in, in the circumstances make it where it has to be that, is the head of the household. If the head of the household is saved and truly fear God, revere God more than they revere anything else, that faith is going to pass down from generation to generation. If your faith is real, your children will have real faith. Then as she finishes up, she comes to this great prophecy about the fulfillment of his incarnation and a time when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen to what this fulfillment. He has shown strength. This is his history. In the end, we're going to look back and we're going to all sing this song. He has shown strength with his, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. There's a lot of proud people in this world. They're going to be scattered when it's all over. He has put down the mighty from their thrones, and he's taken the throne. He's exalted the lowly, and he has filled the hungry with good things. The, and the rich he has sent away empty. Not, not rich in money, rich people who think they don't need the Lord. Rich in so many things of this world that they don't think they need the Lord. The rich people who don't think they need the Lord he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Now watch this. She's speaking of this child in her womb now. She's magnifying Jesus in her womb as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his seed forever he's always spoken to our fathers he always will speak to our fathers you know mary had some pretty good solid theology i can tell you she understood that that child in her womb was the one who micah describes as his goings forth are from everlasting she understood that he's none other than the angel of the lord who spoke to abraham and his seed to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to their seed, and to all the children of faith. He's none other than God Almighty. And then we finish up in verse number 56. That's the last verse we'll look at today. And Mary remained with her aunt about three months until John the Baptist was born. Some people say she didn't see the birth of John the Baptist because a virgin wasn't allowed to see the birth of a child. Guess what? She wasn't a virgin anymore. She, she was a virgin, but she was bearing a child. Let me put it that way. Uh, she, she had a child herself. So I imagine she was there until he was born, and then uh, she got out of their way. But for those three months, 
wouldn't you love to be been a fly on the wall and to heard their conversation as John grew John the Baptist grew in the womb of Elizabeth and and the Lord himself grew in the womb of Mary I mean they had to have some deep deep theological conversations and then about the time John's born Mary returns to Nazareth now she either returned back to the house of Joseph or she returned to her own house and then later a few days or a few weeks maybe later after that she married Joseph it depends on how you look at the scenario some people believe that that uh, she was already married to Joseph at this point that as soon as she was uh, told by the the uh, angel Gabriel that she was going to bear the Messiah that she told Joseph and of course Joseph didn't believe but later that night or some within a few days the angel Gabriel came to Joseph in a dream and told him that uh, she is going to bear a son and his name is going to be Jesus and he's going to be the savior of the world and so Joseph uh, Joseph took her and married her at that point. Uh, most people believe that she hadn't told Joseph yet. And she went home, and now she's starting to show. And Joseph sees her, and he sees that she's pregnant, and, and uh, he has a decision to make. He can do one of two things. He can put her away. Uh, he can have her uh, in, through a divorce, or he can have her stoned. Being a kind, gracious man, he decided to put her away. I'm sure she said, Joseph, this is true. Don't you believe me? You know, all of, I'm sure she did her best to convince him, but he, you know, that, that, that'd be hard to, hard to swallow if you were a man. And uh, so uh, the, angel came to, the angel Gabriel came to Joseph in a dream, and he told him that what Mary has told you is true and that she is going to bear a son, and he will be the Messiah. And then at that point, Joseph took her into, and married her and took her into his home. Regardless of which scenario you believe took place, that was a very, very tough situation for Mary. A tough situation to live in where people were going to stare at her, ridicule her, doubt her. Uh, it, it, was, it was probably a good thing when they left and headed to Bethlehem and, and got out of town. But she didn't really have to worry too much about anything. I mean, if you're carrying the great I am in your womb, nobody's going to mess with you. And no matter what took place, nobody messed with Mary uh, until they left. Now, next week, we'll get into the birth of John the Baptist and into the great story about the birth of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just come to you and we just thank you for your word and this great story that you've get, given us, Lord, it's so rich in, in truth. It's so important to what we believe. Father, I just ask that you take these truths and, and make them real to us during this season, especially, Lord, as we celebrate Christmas. Uh, Lord, we're so blessed to know you. We're so blessed to have your word. We're so blessed that you've shared these things with us. Lord, we're so blessed that you came into this world, Emmanuel, God with us to die on a cross for us, to fulfill all of those things, Lord, that were told about you by the angel Gabriel, to be our Savior, the Savior of the world. Lord, we, that's the greatest gift any of us could possibly receive. We thank you for that gift. We thank you for who you are in Jesus Christ. It's in your precious name that I pray. Amen.